it was um it was a it was about a month or two ago I was walking into um, my favorite place to eat lunch downtown and it was around 11 30 12 o'clock and I noticed as I was walking in two ladies from our church I, I recognized them and um, they were squatted down looking under a car. Now, because they're from our church, I didn't know if they were maybe trying to steal the car, because um, I can help with that. Uh, I didn't know if they were, I didn't know what was going, maybe they were having car trouble or whatever. And so I just kind of walked up and kind of, you know, cleared my throat or whatever. And one of them looked at me and she said, oh, hey, Pastor P, would you like a cat? And immediately I thought, you know, I know some people, we can get you an intervention, we can, we can get you some help. She, I was like, what do you mean do I want a cat? And she said, well, we came out and this cat saw us and it's under this car and we think it's a stray and we're trying to help it. And I was like, okay, um, how, how, long, how long have you been trying to help the cat? And they said, oh, we've been here for 30 minutes. And I'm like, that's 29 minutes too long for a cat. And, I, and one was like, I went inside and bought it a bagel, and it didn't want the bagel or whatever. And th- this cat just would not respond. And I mean, I mean, I tried to do something. I looked at it. And I was like, yep, well, didn't look like it's good. So let me know how that goes. And I, I saw them at church the following Sunday. I said, how'd it go with the cat? And they were like, oh, we just kind of left the cat. And I thought about it. I thought about it a lot because the cat didn't understand that somebody was trying to rescue it. Because it had been maybe hurt or abused or something that happened to it along the lines. And so the cat didn't understand. They're trying to rescue me. The cat thought they're trying to hurt me. So the cat's trying to stay away from the people that are actually trying to rescue the cat. And the more I thought about that, the more I thought about to back in 2010, and many of you will remember this, when the miners got trapped in the mine in Chile. And it was worldwide news. And, and it was fascinating because scientists from all over the world got together and collaborated on how to save those miners and get them out of that mine. But when they were trapped in the mine, they had no idea the amount of time, energy, and resources that were being put into place to rescue them for their situation. And when I thought about those two instances, I thought about me and I thought about us as a church and for those of you watching online, where there's probably been times where God's trying to intervene in our life, where he's trying to play the role of the rescuer, but we're like the cat, we resist it. We don't want to be rescued because we might actually like our situation more than we like the solution. Or, or maybe, maybe there, there are times when God's trying to move and trying to work and trying to rescue us, but we're like the miners in Chile, completely unaware that he really is at work. He really is trying to do something awesome and unique. We're just so unaware of all the amazing stuff that he's going to do. And then the, the pain that we're going through is one day going to be turned into something that's greater than we could ever imagine. So what we're going to talk about in this series, Rise Up, for the next several weeks. In fact, when you came in this evening, in your seat, you got this card. And I, and I, I want you to take this with you and just put it somewhere where you can see it on your bathroom mirror or in your car or somewhere because this, this, these are the two verses that we're going to really focus on in this series over the next several weeks. These are two verses that um, in my personal quiet time, I've read over and over and over again for about six months, and I could not figure out why the Lord kept me t- kept taking me to these verses. And I finally realized, it's like you, it, God speaks to me this way sometimes, like, you're going to do a series on them, dummy. And I was like, oh, okay. And, and Paul, in his letter to the, ch- the church in Colossae, he said, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and, ha- and forgave our sins. 
So that's where we're going for the next four to five weeks. This is going to be the launching pad because as we wrap our identity up in what Jesus has done for us rather than what we do for Jesus, we really can't experience this thing he calls abundant life. So this evening in particular, I'm going to talk about being rescued. Now, in order to do that, I need to ask a question. I need you to be honest with me. How many of you have ever made a really bad, impulsive purchase? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. How many of you drove it to church tonight? <laughs> okay, yeah, some of you. Um, back in the day, I remember when infomercials first came out. Like, they're, they're, they're old hat now, but like when they first came out, they were awesome, and they got me every time. Like, I would get hooked on an infomercial, and I'll be like, I don't need that. And within 30 minutes to an hour, you're like, my life is so incomplete. My life is horrible. I've got to have that product. Now, a lot of people are like, oh, they've never got me. They never got me. I'm, I'm the first to admit they got me. And the very first thing I ever bought as a result of an infomercial was this thing. <laughs> the ab roller. Now, I don't know if you had one of these, but this right here, the promise that came with this is that you were going to have a hot body and you were going to be able to eat anything you wanted and drink anything you wanted and you would always look great if you just worked out on this. I think it was like 10 minutes a day or something like that. First of all, <laughs> 10 minutes on that thing will make you wish you, you were dead. I, I promise, I, I did it once. But, but this, this thing right here, I was like, that'll solve all my problems. I'll, I'll look good. I'll feel better about myself. Everything's going to be great because everybody in the commercial, like before they used the ab roller, they looked miserable. After they used the ab roller, they looked happy. Now, and, and, and ripped. I'm talking ripped. I'm talking shredded. I'm talking wash your shirt on your stomach shredded, okay? And, and by the way, I never really noticed that there's a little thing down in the corner right here that usually says results are not typical. These results are not typical. So I bought the ab roller and my life was awesome for 72 hours. That's about how long a purchase will keep you happy, about 72 hours. And then after that, um, I, I, I did use the ab roller, but not to work my abs. I used it when stuff wasn't dry completely in the dryer. You could just kind of hang it right there on the ab roller and, just, and, it, and it, would, it would dry in about a day. But, but we do that, right? Like nothing in this world really satisfies us on a on a permanent basis. Like, I, I've, got my, I've got my iPhone right, right here, but you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? It's a 10. And, and I saw the commercial, the one they got with the dog with the flowing hair, you know what I'm talking about? And it's got, and the 11, it's got three cameras on it. Why would I want one camera when I have three and the flowing hair dog, right? Not, nothing sat, you, don't, don't you love your car until your friend gets a newer car? And all of a sudden, you don't like your car. Or don't you love your TV until your friend gets a TV? It, it's the same with sports team. You love your sports team as long as they win and they win and they win. You feel great. But let them lose a game, and all of a sudden, all that joy and excitement goes completely out the window, which should be a reminder to all of us that nothing in this world can completely satisfy us, which probably means we were created for something other than this world which is one of the reasons I love following Jesus because Jesus not only rescues us out of hell and puts us into heaven, he rescues us from a meaningless life. I'll show you, and we're going to talk about Peter tonight because there's so many, listen, there's so many bad things you can say about Peter, 
But I'm convinced that when we get to heaven, guys like me are going to have to walk up to Peter and apologize to him for beating him up so much because Peter's just like us. He falls down, he gets back up. He falls down, he gets back up. He falls down, he, The God just, but he just won't stay down. Watch this. And Matthew, who was one of the disciples, wrote this down about Peter and Andrew. One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is beautiful, by the way, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Now, just a real quick question, and I'm not going to make fun of you much, but how many of you love to fish? You, you love to go fishing, okay? Come on, raise your hand. I'm not, okay, yeah. You've got a lot of fisher people here. You can't say fishermen anymore. You've got to say fisher people. This is, so that's great. That's great. I don't like to fish because I don't have the patience for it. Um, but if you love to fish, props to you. What I really don't understand is people that watch television shows about fishing. That's weird. It's like, okay, call the fish. Anyway, I, I don't can't wrap my mind around that. But think about this for a second. Peter and Andrew, until they met Jesus, a good day was when they had a good catch. And a bad day was when they had a bad catch. How would you like for all of your life's hopes, dreams, and emotions to be contingent on a catch of fish? But that's all they had. That's all the hope they had. That's all the potential for joy they had. And if you had a really big catch and you didn't have as big of a catch the next day, you were constantly disappointed in what you were doing. How, how many people have found yourself constantly disappointed in just about everything that this world has to offer us? So, 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 so that's all they had going for them. But then, but then, the Bible says that Jesus saw them. I love the fact that they weren't looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for them. And, and it says in verse 19, Jesus called out to them, come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. Now, they didn't even understand what that meant, fish for people. They just heard Jesus say, come, follow me, and they left their nets at once and followed him. And their life was never the same. Had they, had they not followed Jesus, they would have lived in a town called Capernaum, which is now in ruins on the Sea of Galilee, and nobody would have named their kids Peter, and nobody would have named their kids Andrew, and they would have never been known. But because they chose to follow Jesus, they stepped out of, of a life that had no purpose into a life of purpose. Because what these men were going to see for the next three years were things that we could only dream of. They were going to see miracles. They were going to hear teaching. And it changed the trajectory of their lives simply because they said, yes, I will follow Jesus. See, Jesus rescues us from a meaningless life. When I said yes to Jesus, he rescued me from a meaningless life because I didn't know what I was going to do. Out of high school, all my friends had all their plans and they were doing all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. So I finally landed on restaurant management. Now, there's nothing wrong with restaurant management. There's nothing wrong with choosing that as a career. But for me, there was because I was going to work for a restaurant called Ryan's. Yeah, who used to work there? You used to work there. You know why you don't work there anymore? Because it don't exist. It went out of business. I was going to sell my life out to an organization that no longer exists. But when Jesus called me to follow him, he called me to follow him, and he called me into a different 
direction. That's one of the most beautiful things about following Jesus is it's not always easy, but our life will always have meaning. Now, Peter chose to follow Jesus, and there's so many things that happen in Peter's life along the way that we could choose to talk about, but I'm going to choose to focus on one that, um, that I've never quite seen the way I'm going to teach it this evening. It's, uh, it's, and, and if you know anything about the Bible, you've heard about this story, and even if you don't know anything about the Bible, you've probably heard this story. Um, immediately after this, Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 14, after this was a miracle that Jesus had just performed, where he fed 5,000 men, by the time you throw the women and children in there, there's probably 20,000 people, with five loaves and two fish. Major miracle. Big deal. So after, after that miracle happened, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Now, there's a whole story as to why Jesus insisted, and I, I want to teach on that sometime because it's, it's fascinating when you dig into it. But Jesus put the disciples in the boat and insisted they go to the other side. Now, just for really quick review, just to make sure you're listening, who insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go to the other side? Jesus, right. The, the answer in church is always Jesus. So you got it right. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Then we have a problem. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble for away, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Who told the disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side? Jesus. Did Jesus know the storm was coming? Yes or no? So Jesus sent them into a storm? See, this, this goes against a lot of popular theology that says, oh, if you just follow Jesus, your life will be awesome, and you'll ride unicorns and eat Lucky Charms, right? And if that's your life, you probably smoke crack as well. We need to get some help. That's not... Jesus sent them into a storm. Did you know that sometimes Jesus will send us into a storm? Because sometimes, it only, in, only in the storm... Sometimes, I know for me personally, am I willing to look for him and, I, and am I willing to listen to what he has to say? Sometimes it takes a storm to get us to see what he wants us to see and know what he wants us to know. And, and I'll tell you this, without the storm, we get no miracle. So if you are going through a storm tonight, the good news is you are a candidate for a miracle because if it wasn't for the storm, we wouldn't have the miracle that's recorded in all four gospels, Jesus walking on, Jesus walking on the water and feeding the 5,000. So here we go. So, so about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Now, Matthew writes this like this is, so let me ask you a question setting this up. How many of you know somebody? You know somebody. Now, don't, don't point at this person if they hypothetically are in the room. But you know somebody that's always late. Now, see, I said not to point, and you just messed that up. So have some counseling for you afterwards. 
We all know people, right? If you tell them, I've, I've literally got a friend, and if I want him to meet me somewhere at 7 o'clock, I'll tell him 6.30. I straight up lie. I don't feel bad about it because I'm not really lying. I'm just, I'm just kind of helping him. But there are people like that. Now, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. There's an old Southern gospel song called He's an On-Time God. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He, okay, if he's on time, why is he showing up at 3 in the morning? Because the storm had been raging on for, for hours before this. If he's on time, I, I love God is always on time. Is he? If he's always on ask Lazarus about Jesus' timing. I mean, Lazarus has been dead four days. Worms are crawling out of his eyes, okay? He is like, he is, he is food for dead animals, and then all of a sudden, Jesus calls him back to life. Sometimes, sometimes it seems like he's not going to show up. And when he does show up, he shows up in ways that we never saw him coming. They, the Bible says he was walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In the Greek, that means they ished their pants. They, that, that's, I, I made that up. They were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. Now, a lot of people have been really tough on the disciples for years and years and years. But notice this. They weren't scared during the storm. They were scared when they saw Jesus because they saw Jesus in a way they had never seen him before. See, anytime we go through a storm, one of the things we need to understand is Jesus is trying to reveal a part of himself to us that we've never seen before and we would have never seen it had we not gone through the storm. So because of the storm, they're seeing Jesus more clearly than they've ever seen him before. And because of your storm, because of my storm, we're able to see Jesus more clearly than we've ever seen him before. Now, it gets crazier. I love, I love this story. Matthew says, but Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here, which they still don't know it's him. They think it's a ghost. But, but me personally, I'm a little bothered if I'm a disciple in the boat. Because see, earlier... They were in a storm together, and Jesus was sleeping. You might remember the story. Jesus is sleeping in the storm and the waves and the wind. Everybody's freaking out, and they wake him up, and they say, Lord, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, and he just rebuked the storm, told the storm. He said, like, knock it off, and, like, the, the storm just quit. So if I'm one of the disciples, and I'm in the boat, and I'm looking at Jesus, I'm going, do that thing where you speak to the storm again. Do that thing where you speak to the storm. Do that thing. But Jesus chooses not to speak to the storm. He chooses to speak to the people in the storm. Sometimes he really does calm the storm, and sometimes he speaks to us in the storm. And if we're listening to him, he'll speak to us so clearly. And listen, they would not have heard him had they not had gone through the storm. There are so many things that Jesus has taught me inside the storm about himself that I would never have learned if I hadn't have gone through the storm. So, so then Peter, here we go. Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Have you ever asked God for a sign? All right, God, God, make it, God do, and then, and then God calls you on your bluff. He's done it to me. I'm like, okay, God, make this happen. And it's happened, I'm like, oh, 
Well, do it again. I'm dead. <laughs> He's like, I don't play that. So, so Peter, Peter puts out a radical just challenge. Hey, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. Didn't talk about the physics. Didn't talk about the rules of nature. He just said two words. And then Peter was challenged with this question. Do I take my next step? Do you know that the next step is always the right step? But seldom is it the easy step. If, if your next step causes you a little bit of fear, you're on track. If your next step causes you to think, if God doesn't intervene, I sink. Because let's all be honest. You don't even have to believe in the Bible to believe if somebody steps on water and there is not some supernatural element involved, the person's going to the bottom. So, <laughs> yes, come, Jesus said. Watch this. So, Peter, think about the faith this took. Think about the courage this took. So, Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. This was what, this is what you call a spiritual high. This is what you call a significant experience with Jesus. This is incredible. This is amazing. But a problem happened. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Now, we criticize Peter for this, but let's, let's show Peter a little grace. I mean, this is second chance. Like, like let's, let's kind of love on Peter a little bit because, well, well I told, I've told you all this before, but years ago when I was really struggling with anxiety, like I had real bad anxiety, I took several steps. One of the major things I stopped doing was listening to political talk radio. It, it was, now, now, some of you are nodding your head and some of you are looking at me like you're pissed off. And you know why? Because you listen to political talk radio. And that's why nobody wants to be your friend, because you're mean. Um, it, it literally made me mean and paranoid. I was paranoid all the time. Like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. So now, now when people come up and ask me, what do you think about Trump and the Russians? I'm like, I don't. Don't think about them. Like, is that a new, is that a new rock band, Trump and the Russians? Because, I mean, I, like, have they, have they dropped their latest EP yet? Because I'll buy that. But I, I, other than that, I don't know. And I'm telling y'all, if, if you don't believe me, your anxiety levels just level out. And, that, and, and now I've taken it to a whole new level. I won't even watch the Weather Channel anymore. Because the, the Weather Channel will freak you out. Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say, if Jim Cantore shows up in your town, you're screwed. Like something, there. like, I don't know how that guy's still alive, right? He'll go stand in the middle of an F5 tornado going, yep, it's a tornado, Bob. It's, it's the weird, by the way, he was in Greenville this weekend. I was like, oh, dear God, something's going to happen. But I had people coming up to me a couple weeks ago asking me, Pastor P, what are we going to do about the hurricane? I was like, what, what hurricane? They were like, oh, the one coming towards South Carolina, you know, and it hit Charleston, did a lot of damage. I was like, I think we're good. We, we are in Anderson. Hurricanes don't happen on Lake Hartwell, all right? Like, like we, are, we are super safe. But if you watch the forecast, you can get freaked out. Can you not? They'll, they, they will convince us that, 
the economy is going to crash because this major hurricane coming our way. And so we look at that stuff and we get our eyes on the government. We get our eyes on the stock market. We got our eyes on the hurricane. We got our eyes on Jim Cantori. It's the same thing that was going on with Peter. He's walking on the water, but he starts to look around going, this ain't normal. This ain't normal. And he started to sink. But watch this. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Aren't you glad Peter wasn't full of pride? Because if Peter would have been full of pride, he would have drowned. That's why a lot of people drown in the storm, is they don't have the courage to actually ask for help. Because the Bible says when Peter asked for help, immediately, Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him immediately. That's how fast Jesus moved. He didn't go, you know, Peter, I don't know, man. I'll just kind of let you bob a little bit and see how, that, see how that works for you. How's it feel losing faith in me? No, 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 no. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, grabbed him, and then he said this, you have so little faith. I think he said it with a smile on his face. I think he said it kind of laughing a little bit because we pick on Peter, but what about the 11 guy, other guys that didn't have the courage to get out of the boat? He said, you have so little faith. Why did, you, why did you doubt me in the middle of the storm? So if you're going through a storm tonight, understand that the storm is a setup for a miracle. So, so one more thing about Peter, and it's, it's like, have you, ever, have you ever said something that in, like in the moment you meant it, like you meant it, you were 100% sincere, but then you went back on your word? You ever done that? Yeah, thank you. There's like two honest people at the six o'clock. We got to work on that. I, uh, I was in college. I was kind of dating a little bit. Met this girl. Worked at Quincy's. I'm not making this up. And things were getting kind of serious. We had been on like two and a half dates. And I was kind of playing around on the piano. I was kind of teaching myself how to play piano. And, uh, and so we wound up at the church where I was serving one night. And uh, she sat down. I was like, you know, I was thinking about you, dude. You know, I just was thinking about you. I just wanted to play this song for you. You are so beautiful. It was going good right here. To me. Then I hit her with this. Can't you see? You're everything I hope for. You're everything I you are so beautiful to me I don't remember her name swear to god not making this up 
I was telling somebody about this illustration and they were like, what if she watches and emails in and says, I was the girl. I was like, that'd be awesome. Cause I'd know her name. I don't, I told her I loved her a minute in the moment, a minute. And don't judge me because you did the same thing too. In the seventh grade, the boy could skate backwards and you thought he was hot because he could skate backwards and you kissed him and you told him you'd always love him till your mama came and picked you up. And then you forgot, you don't even know his name anymore. So don't judge me. I'm just, I'm just saying that sometimes we say stuff and in the moment we mean it, but we're not really serious about it. We've done the same thing in our walk with Christ. But, but it's easy to beat up on Peter because he's like the poster child for this. They're, they're getting ready, the apostles are getting ready to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is ultimately arrested. And, and the Bible says on the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. Now, this is crazy. Jesus knew they were going to desert him before he called him, and he still called him anyway. Isn't it, isn't it amazing that Jesus knew every stupid, foolish, sinful thing we were ever going to do, and he still called us and paid for our sin anyway? I mean, it's just the, the whole grace thing just blows my mind. Um, it says, all of you are going to desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, they kind of missed that. They kind of skipped over that. When somebody tells you they're going to rise from the dead, you might want to pay attention because there's only been one person in history to pull that off. After I've been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. By the way, Galilee is where it all started. So he said, I'm going to go back to where we started and we're going to have a fresh start. I'll go ahead of you into Galilee and I'll meet you there. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. Can you imagine how insulting this must have been to the other apostles? Hey, these fools, they might turn their back. I will never turn their back. Now, this is what I believe. I believe in that moment, Peter was legit. Peter was real. Peter meant what he was saying. He was fully committed. He was, if the Roman soldiers had shown up in that moment, I think Peter would have laid down his life. Just like all of us, all of us at certain situations in our life, we've told Jesus, I'll do this. I won't do this. I'll never do that. I'll, I'll never go there. I'll always do this. And then we find ourselves going back on our commitment, just like Peter. Jesus replied, I'll tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me, you will deny three times that you even know me. Now, Peter couldn't even believe that. He couldn't fathom it. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Peter, in that moment, was so caught up that he made a promise and he fell back on it. And anytime we do something that we said we would never do, Anytime we make a promise to Jesus and we fall back on that promise, all of us feel two very, very common emotions. The first one is loneliness. Because the enemy does his best to convince you and me that we are the only person dealing with that problem. Hey, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about that. You can't, you know why? Because you're the only one. Nobody else has ever had that struggle. Nobody else has ever dealt with that. And you feel all alone and isolated and worthless, which leads to the second emotion that we feel, and it's shame. 
deep shame over the fact that we're doing something that we said we would never do. But just like Jesus did for Peter in Matthew 4, he rescued him from a meaningless life. And just like Jesus did in the storm, he rescued Peter when Peter started to sink. He did for Peter after he rose from the dead. Because if Jesus, just think about this. If you come back from the dead, are you, are you seeking out the people that said they were your friends but denied you? Absolutely. He's seeking them out. He's trying to find, I, I would be trying to find them. I'd be trying to figure out what the heck went wrong. But the, the women go to the tomb to prepare Jesus' body for burial, in other words, to finish the job, and an angel shows up. And I love what the angel communicates to these women. The angel says in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, tell Peter, I rescued him from a meaningless life. I rescued him from the storm. I will rescue him from his denial. I am his rescue story. For those of us in this room that feel like you're alone, empty-handed in the storm, I'm telling you, Jesus is ready for a rescue. And it might not come in our time, but it will come in his time. And even when we think he's late, he always has a purpose. So tonight, before we give the invitation, we're going to end a little different because I want us to focus on the fact that even if we feel alone, we're not alone. That Jesus is our rescue stories. Father, I pray that during these next few moments that you would communicate to every single one of us. God, the fact that you are with us God, I pray for those in the room that are going through a storm, that have had a tough season. God, that don't know how they're going to make it through the week. God, that you would let them know that you just don't give up on people. Jesus, you didn't give up on Peter. Jesus, you didn't give up on me. You haven't given up on anyone in this room. And I pray over these next few moments that you would take our focus and put it completely on you. In Jesus' name I pray.